This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome, this is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast show with Alice and Andrea. Our community is made up of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs on Joy 94.9. There is something there for everyone. A Little Pot of Joy is where we highlight just some of these amazing programs. We would like to show our respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land of elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, whose lands we are broadcasting from. We're opening the evening with a podcast from Serial Offenders, Radio Erotica, aired on the 29th of January 2005 and podcast by Gary. Your Serial Offenders are bringing you a very saucy show today. Carly and Callum are presenting their very own original erotic fiction. The podcasts are available for download from the Joy website, www.joy.org.au forward slash Serial Offenders. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Presenting Carly and Callum, your serial offenders on Joy 94.9. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning, Callum? I'm a little out of breath. Oh. <laughs> well, I must admit, we're very lucky to have you in the uh, station. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I, um was running a wee bit late and panicked and got here with a whole six minutes to spare. You panicked, I panicked. There was, a, there was just a lot of panic, really. Panic in, uh, the, panic in the disco. But also, I would hate for you to miss out on such a fabulous show that we've I got know. planned today. We are jam-packed. It's going to be awesome. Um, we um, have also both written a little bit of erotic fiction and we want to know whose is best... <laughs> Yes, after Callum's last week of uh, reading out the erotic fiction, we decided why not read out some of our own? <laughs> exactly. Uh, we thought we could do it better. But it also came with two requirements. Yes, uh, we had to include um, camel toes and a strawberry collapsing in on itself. So uh, let's say it's creative. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I think it's time, Callum. Callum and I are reading out our erotic fiction that we have uh, been writing over yeah. all week. Look, look <laughs> l- last week I brought in a Mills and Boone-esque style story that we read while we were camping because what do six guys do when they're out and about yeah. on their lonesome camping? Read um, straight erotic fiction. Yep. Um, and, and we were like, well, we can do better. So we, text, uh, we asked for a couple of topics that we had to include. So we had to include camel toes and a strawberry collapsing in on itself. Yes, and I think, we've, I think we've done that. I think we've done well. And also, it's not too erotic. It's breakfast safe. Exactly. It's just lots of describing words, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm going to go first, and I'm going to read Callum's. We're reading each other's. Yes, because I was a bit embarrassed to read out my own. But uh, here we go. Okay, take it away, lady. The curve of Leona's camel toe glistened in the moonlight, water dripping slowly down her thigh from her wet bathers. As she stared into the water from beside the heated rooftop pool, her reflection stared back, naked, longing in its eyes. (laughs) 
suddenly her reflection was rent in two. As a stranger, rent in two? Rent in two, like, like ripped in two. Oh, nice. So, yeah. As a stranger burst forth from the water, dark, soft hair cascaded down her back. A mane as thick and luxuriant as the fur from a llama's back. The stranger whipped her hair back and forth with a quick flick of her head and a knowing smirk crossed her full red lips as she saw the effect of her moist, firm body, firm body had on Leona. The stranger's chest was heaving up and down from her hard exercise during laps of the pool and Leona's was heaving in time with longing. As the stranger reached out and embraced Leona, her gentle but firm grasp made Leona's world suddenly crumble like a strawberry falling in on itself. She gasped as she plunged into the depths of her pleasure. Leona had never known. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the camel toe? Hey, I was right at the beginning. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Yeah, Beautiful, right. so, Callum. And nicely read. You've got a sexy voice for it, I must say. Especially today. I, it's gone a little bit huskier. Mm, it's great. <laughs> I love it when my voice is a little bit husky. Is it uh, usually in squeaky and prepubescent? <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So that was my effort. Okay, Callum. I've got butterflies in my stomach. Well, you should because I'm about to rock your world with your erotic <laughs> fiction. Um, um, okay. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Uh, Ready as I'll ever be. This is uh, Carly's Milton Boonesque. Dressed for the fantasy of her unknown cyber lover. On the first night, they were to physically entwine, hopefully for eternity. Patricia felt herself perspiring from the orifice orifice she was hoping would wait till they got home. The hot pink lycra onesie with cosmic patterns of sequins across her chest exuberated the confidence Patricia usually lacked when meeting new people. At Sarah's request, Patricia wore her camel toe with pride, knowing that tonight she would be turning on her mysterious, untouched lover. Sitting down at the empty bar, Patricia sat on her stool, hulling the flesh from the strawberry in her champagne. At the last bite, Sarah arrived from behind, showing her presence by biting on the strawberries out of skin, caving in on itself between Patricia's fingers. (laughs) (laughs) That was so much fun! Um, Obviously, we have to know who won. That's that's part of this. This isn't just for fun. This, this is, a is competition. not fun. Yeah, exactly. This is a competition. So, uh, were you more awakened by the uh, love affair between two lesbians that Callum wrote about um, in the pool? Do you have an issue with that? <laughs> no, I think it's great. Um, or the lady lover's cyber affair at a bar in her lycra onesie. It's funny when you mentioned, oh, you didn't write about men. And I just thought, you know what? That didn't even occur to you as your didn't answer. even occur to me. <laughs> um, so, all right. Both of our erotic fiction are up on Facebook. We need you to go to Facebook. You can reread it there if you want, if you don't need to, whatever. Um, and like which one you think is best. Currently, uh, Carly is winning. It's Well, I don't know if I'm winning, Well, that's actually. the thing. It's two votes to one, but the winning vote currently has been cast by your mum. So I'm not sure if Shana counts. And also, we got a text in from somebody who was really mean <laughs> and said that Callum's was 
way better. Way better? Really? See, I way better? I, don't forget that I read out Callum's and Callum read out mine. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, maybe, yeah, so, I mean, you did a fabulous reading of it. Exactly. But, I mean, when it comes to the core of the core of the, the novel. The story. The, yeah, the... The, the gritty, the nitty gritty part of the story. Apparently, uh, mine's way better, according to this anonymous text. Um, we, we're uh, continuing our little feud here on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash serial offenders. Currently, uh, my erotic fiction. Don't talk about it. It's <laughs> gone up to. Oh, hang on. That's three likes. I thought you said I had more than that now. Hang on. Don't you have four? I think you've got four I, and I didn't, I've see, got three. I didn't refresh the page oh, because I'm a professional. Word. Oh, no. Yes. I just can't count. Uh, no, 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 I've got four. Okay, okay, so I have four um, four likes for my erotic fiction, and Carly has three, which means, yes, ahead of the game, ahead of the game. Yeah, but it's not moment. quite nine o'clock, it's 22, so oh, I want to leave this up till next week. On. Next week, oh, next okay. week, lady. Oh, done, easy. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Um, so we'll be um, having that all weekend, um, all week long until next week when we find out who the winner is. When we die, our bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass, and so we are all connected in the great cereal of life. Joy 94.9. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy with Andrea and Alice on Joy 94.9. To find out who won the erotic radio competition between Carly and Callum... You just have to download the Serial Offenders podcast from the Joy website, joy.org.au forward slash Serial Offenders. From bloody good things to know, one of our resting programs, Servals and Snubfin Dolphins. The team talked to zookeeper Kwai Chung Kum about the African serval, a medium-sized wild cat. Then we get a look at the snubfin dolphin. In 2005, a new species of dolphin was found in Australian waters, the Australian snubfin dolphin. The discovery of a new mammal is apparently extremely rare, and this one has a unique way of attacking its prey. To listen to more podcasts from Bloody Good Things to Know, go to the Joy website, www.joy.org.au. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. <laughs> Talking to one of our favourite keepers from Werribee Zoo this week, Kwai Chankam, thank you very much for your time today, Kwai. You're welcome, Adam. Now, this week we're talking about the American serval, uh, the American, the African <laughs> serval, which is a fascinating creature. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, well, the African serval um, are quite a large cat. It's a solitary cat, um, and they weigh anywhere up to about 12 kilos um, in the wild. And no. they've got an amazing ability to be able to jump and catch birds in flight. So they can jump anywhere up to two to three metres wow. in the air. Now, I believe that there were some attempts to even domesticate them in Australia. Uh, no, not actually in Australia, but overseas they have um, bred them with other cats and they called them savannah cats, so they're sort of hybridised. And there has been thought of trying to bring them into Australia, but um, luckily the government decided that wasn't a good thing. Can you imagine a 12-kilo cat out in the wild here in Australia? It would be devastating. Oh, for sure, definitely. Now, also, they normally eat quite small prey um, and they'll just swallow that whole, is that right? Uh, depending on what it is, so like if they caught a small lizard or a small bird, um, they probably could. But like most cats, they do rip, up, rip them apart a bit to, to swallow them down. Um, and they, they eat um, anything up to the size of flamingos, so they're quite a large prey as well. Flamingos? Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty big. A long neck. Don't get many of them in Australia. <laughs> Definitely not. That's right. <laughs> They'll starve over here. Quite, quite <laughs> being an African serval, I'm assuming this animal is found in Africa. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is found in Africa. They're still reasonably common in Africa, but unfortunately, um, a little bit like Australia, the grasslands are starting to recede, so um, 
we're sort of trying to emphasise how if you look after the animals, you should be able to look after the habitats as well. How many of these um, species are left? Is it endangered? It's not listed as... Oh, how many species of several, you mean? Yep. Uh, no, they're not endangered. They're still reasonably common. But because they're solitary animals, you don't come across them very often. Oh, OK. Yeah. And yep. um, so they, these are sort of mid-range cats. So they're not as big as, a, obviously, a lion or a tiger, but they're, they're bigger than a domestic cat. Yeah, yeah, definitely bigger than a domestic cat. And they're actually classed as the largest of the small cats, if that makes any sense. So you've got small cats and you've got larger cats like the cheetahs and lions and tigers. So these are the, these are the largest of the small cats. All oh, right. So there's no medium cats out there. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not really. Or middle cats. Small. So what makes them, just so the, the listener knows, what makes them um, look different? I mean, how do they differ from the smaller or the larger cats? Um, I, look, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure, but um, from what I've been told, it's about whether they can purr or not, because you, you'll hear most of the things like lions can't purr, oh. but a lot of the smaller cats can. Okay, so, um, that's interesting. Yeah. So if you if you meet a, a cat that you may think is a serval and it's not purring, run for your life, because <laughs> it could be a tiger. Yeah, <laughs> Oh, that's it. Style, that so gives that one away. You don't see many of them in Africa. <laughs> no, I, I hope not. No. <laughs> at Werribee Zoo, you've got Wild Nights, a zoo after dark, uh, starting very, very soon. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that starts on the 26th of June and goes through till the 10th of July. It's, it's quite an interesting um, thing that we're doing. We're actually opening up the zoo after dark, so virtually from 5.30 till 7.30, we're opening up the walking trail. So people can come along with torches and spotlight animals. We'll have our monkeys um, will hopefully be out on display, as with the lions, um, the cheetahs and the hippos. And we'll also be doing a serval presentation. So what we'll do is we'll have a large um, area where you come inside out of the cold and be able to watch some of the amazing things that the servals can do. Which, can you give us any hints on some of the amazing things they can do? Well, um, backflips. <laughs> no, not quite backflips. They, they don't jump through hoops or anything like that. Thank but, God. But what we're trying to do is show you what they can do. So um, they've actually been conditioned in a way so that they'll listen to us and um, they'll be able to jump, say, two to three metres in the air to show you how high they can jump and how they pounce um, and just how quiet they are when they walk. So we've got a lot of mulch so you can actually sort of see them walking and how they camouflage in amongst the grasses as well. Wow. So, yeah, it's quite impressive. Bloody, Bloody good, good things, things to know. Joining us on the line is Lydia Gibson. She's a tropical marine species manager for the WWF. We're talking about a very rare species of dolphin called the snubfin. Lydia, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Now tell us a little bit about this fascinating species of dolphin called the snubfin. Yeah, well, not many people know that, that um, Australia is actually home to its very own native dolphin called the Australian um, snuffin dolphin. And it's quite an um, unusual-looking dolphin because it's actually got quite a round, melon-like head, and most dolphins actually have a, a strong, prominent beak. And it's with, you can find it all the way from um, Kimberley in Western Australia, across Northern Australia, and, and into um, Gladstone in Queensland as well. But it's actually been dubbed one of the, the world's ugliest dolphins, which I don't agree with. Yeah. <laughs> dolphins are cute, as, as well as being ugly, the snubfin dolphin, it also has a really deadly way of uh, getting its prey. Oh, yeah, it's extremely scary. No, um, a lot of... Um, 
on some observations in Kimberley and in Queensland, it shows that it actually spits jets of water um, to catch its prey, to catch the fish. It, they'll round the fish up, and then as, they get, as the fish are dra- driven to the surface of the water, they'll shoot jets of water, sometimes up in the air, but also sometimes along the surface, surface of the water, which essentially startles the fish and then and it helps them to catch them. But we still know so little about this behaviour, so it'd be great to watch that story unfold. That'd be great in a swimming pool when those little shits are swimming around and splashing over water. <laughs> Send in the stub fin dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, That's really unusual. It's quite fascinating. And I believe there's been some research done on them recently. What have you found there? Well, there's been research done over the years in Queensland, and um, WWF also partnered up with ING Direct, an online bank, um, to do research in Kimberley and the Northern Territory. Um, And so we're basically, what we're trying to do is really build a picture up of the life and habits of this dolphin um, so that we can find the best way to conserve them. And a lot of the, the research is showing that they have very small localized populations. They're very coastal hugging. So they like to be in waters less than 15 meters deep and just stay about 10 k's in the coast. And unfortunately, that means that they're subject to a wide range of human impacts from coastal development, fishing, et cetera, et cetera. So because they've got such localized communities, they're very susceptible to local extinction. So we really need to do all that we can to protect them as soon as possible. Now, reading the information on the WWF website, I'm going to ask a very ignorant question, but it says they're at risk from climate change and rising sea levels. But I'm thinking that's going to give them more water to swim in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I see your point, but it will mean that um, mangroves will disappear as a a result of that um, because of the deeper water there. So it will mean loss to their habitat as well. No, I think that's a very valid question there, Adam. Oh, yeah. you're, you're always the more water, surely there's more for them to swim around in. But, yeah, it's just the ecosystems associated with it, and yeah. the seagrass as well. They love seagrass. I understand. And what, um, uh, can we find these guys, I know they're very rare, can we find them in Victoria? No, unfortunately, well, at this stage, I mean, all we know is that they're... they're um, they live in tropical Australia, so from Kimberley to, to Queensland. So they like warm water, obviously. Yeah, okay. yeah, tropical species. Now, the WWF is doing some great work to help out with the snubfin dolphins. Is there anything that a listener can do to help to support the snubfin dolphin? The what, sorry? Is there anything the listener can do to help out the snubfin? Well, as we as we mentioned before, I mean, climate change is one of those issues. So just, you know, be energy-wise and turn appliances off and, and switch to green power. Um, for those... Uh, for those listeners up in tropical Australia as well, I mean, um, it's quite interesting that, that cat feces can be a cause of death of tropical Aust- of, um, dolphins. Wow. That's quite a, an unusual fact. You wouldn't see that linked, but un- unfortunately there's a, a little parasite that infects cat feces, and if that um, gets into the marine environment, then it can cause deaths of these coastal dolphins as well. So be responsible with the cat litter um, but also as well just choose sustainable seafood um, such as marine stewardship council certified products really to help reduce the impact of bycatch all, all those things definitely make yeah, a little difference yeah to... and go to our website and find out more about the dolphins and and you know and, and what we what we need to do to help them of course that website is www.org.au lydia thank you so much for having a chat to us today okay thank you you're on joy 94.9 this is a little pot of joy with Alice and Andrea. Up next from a resting program, they link a lesbian couple's bonded session. 
It originally aired back in July 2013. July 24th, actually, which was my oh. birthday that year. It was only that year? <laughs> ha ha. On the show that week, Basa was joined by Ginny as they chat about the lesbian couple whose bondage session that ended up in a fire station. And Ginny also talks about her own embarrassing moments. Some practical tips from Basa and the hard lessons learned. To listen to more of the resting programs, you go to the JOY website and download them from the JOY website, www.joy.org.au, or from the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. You're listening to Busher and this is Lay Link on Joy 94.9. Now tonight's show we'll be chatting to Ginny. We're going to be talking to her all about all the lesbian couple whose bondage session ended up at a fire station. Ginny, hello. What's up, Basha? I've got to say, this uh, intro that you gave me, on, on it's quite a show that you pulled me into. We're talking about bondage, kitties, and health and fitness. Could you pick anything more eclectic for me to talk about? Uh, I see a flow in that. I'm sorry. Hold on. Oh, I see. I see what you mean now. I'm with you now. So, yeah, so I was looking on the Gay News Week and I found this lovely, lovely commentary about these two, two a lesbian couple who basically, whose bonded session ended at a fire station. How does one's bonding session start at a fire station to end up there anyway? Well, they didn't start at the fire station. They ended up there. They ended up there. So basically there was this lovely young lesbian couple in the UK who were forced to seek help from the local fire station after a bonded session went wrong. Awkward. Yes. Basically they'd mislaid the keys of the handcuffs while having a bit of sex play. (gasps) You know, that's awkward. The authorities intervening on on having on your sexy time is is really really awkward like what does one do hey can you just help uncuff my naked girlfriend right there hey you know that that's cool no, no i believe they got dressed they got dressed but yeah it'll be hard wearing handcuffs to get dressed like she'd probably have a, a t-shirt over her head and everything else just exposed it's like what's up how you doing well, she could have had a towel on or something now we're going into <laughs> completely different oh my god now i want to google images of this hmm. <laughs> i'm actually interested to see like what the finding picture was the fire brigade basically was saying that, that they thought it was a bit of an amusement and they had a bit of a laugh and that the girls were a little bit embarrassed. Of course they would be. Why wouldn't you be embarrassed if, like, firemen walked in on you on your kinky session? No, no, they walked to the fire station. Oh, man. So, Either way. So, so they, they, yeah, were, oh they went to the fire station to seek help because they couldn't unlock the handcuffs. Firstly, get special handcuffs that, that have like a, a safety mechanism or some sort of mechanism that you can open them. And if you're going to get real handcuffs, please make sure you keep the key in a place where you don't forget where it is. What I love about this article too is Commander Paul Guide, who's obviously one of the fire fighters there, his, his quote at the end was, we were pleased we were able to assist them. Yeah, I'm sure you were, Glide. I'm sure you were. Yeah. They, 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 <laughs> it was still, Christmas for them. <laughs> they were chuckling. They thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> too late. Yeah. You know what? I see a joke emerging here. Two lesbians walk into a fire station. Just take it from there. <laughs> and they were not U-hauling at that stage. <laughs> oh, but it reminds me of a, a story. So many years ago, I was a manager and I had an employee who was a little bit, um, she didn't give 100%. She often rang in sick. She gave me weird excuses as to why she was sick. And I just started to think, you know what, I'm going to start cracking down on this woman because she's starting to irritate me. Yeah. And she rang up one morning to let me know that it was a Sunday morning that that she couldn't come into work today because she was a little bit tied up. And I said, I'm sorry, but you have a shift. It starts in whatever time, you know. Yeah. Get yourself here now or start looking for new employment. And then she was trying to tell me that she can't. She's got handcuffs on. (laughs) 
to that I said, okay. Come down you... to the fire station, I'll hook you up. <laughs> I said, are you handcuffed to like a bed or something? Or are you just handcuffed to yourself? You had to ask her that? Yes, I did That's ask her That's all good, Basha. Oh, I, I just went there because I thought, you know what? I know. Do you anyway, know, I don't know what she's handcuffed to? Good on you. Well, being... she could have been handcuffed to her boyfriend. I wanted to know what she was handcuffed to. And right. she said she's handcuffed to herself. And I said, oh, okay, so basically your hands are handcuffed to each other. And she said, yes. I said, well, then as far as I'm concerned, you can still come to work because you, you don't need to bring like part of the bedpost with you or, or, or your boyfriend. So can you please make your way to work? Thank you very much. And we will rectify the situation as it comes to hand. <laughs> comes I, to hand. <laughs> I also, <laughs> Good plan words. <laughs> I also didn't believe her. Right. Anyway, so she walks into the work and... She's handcuffed. Her hands she are handcuffed. Her handcuffs. Oh. Her hands were handcuffed together. And we all had a good chuckle. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be nasty today because she'd irritated me beyond belief. And I made her work. You made her work in handcuffs. Like, didn't you think she'd been arrested or anything like that? She was just wearing. Hey, was she just hanging when out? When you and- arrest people, you handcuff them behind their back. And Sometimes not in front you of go them. to the front. Sometimes. Okay, sorry. I've never been arrested. I've never been arrested too. I'm just, just watching movies and going off there. But it's, I don't know. It's, what, what, how did she get handcuffed? I'm curious. Like, was she hanging out on the Saturday night? Like, hey, there's nothing on TV. I'm just going to handcuff myself. No, her and her boyfriend were. Oh, in the act. In the act. And Can't her boyfriend help her sister out? Help, you know, unlock her? Well, that's what I said. I said, what, you don't have, you know, some sort of tools at home that can, can, you know, release you from this this embarrassment. And the answer was no. So I made her work for an hour. An hour. An hour. I know. I can be nasty. But if you're really, if you're evil to me, I'll be evil back. I made her work for an hour. All the staff got a really good laugh out of her. And then at one stage, I sent one of the the guys down to, to rescue her and said, okay, enough is enough. Can you now help her and get these handcuffs off her. And he was able to wow. get them off her. And then I told her next time she does that, can she please make sure she keeps the key somewhere visible? <laughs> you have to advise your coworker on how to arrange herself around her kinky time. That's an awkward boss conversation to have. You know, uh, you, I know, you, you but I had so much laughter out of it. I'm still laughing to this day about it, just seeing her work <laughs> and yeah, trying to serve customers and be in that customer service environment while got handcuffs on and customers can see it and they know exactly what's happened to her. So, you know what? I thought, you know what? You wear it. But the good thing was she never then rang in sick when I was on shift. So, Oh, there you go. See, she learned. She did. You taught her a lesson. I did teach her a lesson. It was a hard lesson to learn, but you know what? The irony in this is hilarious. I know. And we we could go to so many places with this, but I'm aware that it's, you know, quite early in the evening and, <laughs> and we could get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. Probably so save it for hide and seek. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hide and seek. This is this is something up uh, Dean Beck's alley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry for the pun there. That wasn't, that wasn't intended. But yeah, l- let us know if you've been in some bizarre situation where you've been handcuffed or some sort of embarrassing thing has happened to you where you've had to require the assistance of some sort of an emergency service. I almost got handcuffed from the police, clearly, because they're the only people who walk around holding handcuffs, apart from oh, your sorry, I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, really? Jenny, <laughs> hey, how do no, I not that... know this story? Who well, is she and why is she handcuffing you? Hello. No, when I first... keeping you from escaping, you know, she's taken the uh, U-Haul second date to a whole new level. Dude, I haven't U-Hauled. That's something more up your alley, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to say, when I first came out, when I didn't, you know, when I was living with my parents, I didn't, obviously, I couldn't bring girls home. So the place to, you know, have your make, make, nice, time. make nice with the girl was in your car. 
So the car ride, I remember one night, it was like a long weekend. We were parked at some random park. And all of a sudden, you know, we see these blue and red lights flash. And you hear the knocking on the window. No knocking. No, this is the thing. The car pulled up right behind our car. It was just, just you know, just the, it was just flashing. Sorry, just to put it in context, were you ladies in the front seat or <laughs> in the back seat? I, I Look, you, you can pre- choose not to answer that question. Well, but it, I would just prefer to have an understanding because I've got an image in my head. and You don't want to know what, what's going right through my head <laughs> at the moment. Let's just say uh, we, we needed, we required more space. Okay, let's, good. Let's fine. So in... In the was it a station wagon? It was not a station wagon. Oh, we, no we shagging wagon. No oh. shagging wagon. You know, I couldn't even say it. But we were so we were chilling in, in the car. As you do. As you do. And then all of a sudden, the police car just stops behind us. The engine turns off. You know what I do? I put my top on. I jump in the front seat, which answers your question. And I put on my seatbelt. Like that's going <laughs> to That was my immediate response. And anyway, no one got out of the car. Like the policeman stopped. And they just turned around. So they obviously didn't want to arrest us. I didn't know if they knew there were two women in the car. Apparently, I've heard that if you put high beams on a fogged car, you can actually see in. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. I haven't tested that theory. But maybe they're like, okay, maybe we don't need to intervene here. (laughs) Maybe this isn't a criminal case. It's all good. (laughs) I know that in some instances, the police do pull up in car parks and, and parks and things like that just to have a look at what's going on to make sure everything's above board. Yeah. You know, it could be some sort of deal happening and they want to make sure that, you know, that there's... I've seen people who sit in parks and are eating junk food. Yeah. In their car. Maybe they're too embarrassed to eat it out <laughs> on the street. <laughs> like, I don't want to go home to eat this in front of my wife. I'm yeah. going to die it. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, things like that. I don't know. But I, don't, I know that they do do monitor these kind of areas and they probably deemed you as a low risk kind of kind of person and they thought, oh, it's two, it's two women. <laughs> She's sitting in the front seat with her seatbelt on. They had a bit of fun. Well, they, I'm sure they saw you jump over the front seat. Yeah. And I put my seatbelt on. What more could they want? And you'd already put your top on, so they're like, no, it's nothing to see here. <laughs> oh, you know, just let them have a good story for years. And they just, I think they just left you. They did. See? Very lucky. <laughs> Maybe the windows weren't fogged up enough. <laughs> that I will not confirm or deny. Oh, Ginny, 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 Ginny. And this is a little pot of joy with Andrea and Alice. Up next from new program Rainbow Crusaders, Val's Coffee Lounge. Patrick profiles Val Eastwood. The woman behind Val's Cafe Lounge, a venue which for many years provided Melbourne's LGBTI underground with a safe haven and gathering place. This opportunistic and by her own admission outrageous character developed a wonderful culture where same-sex attracted and gender diverse individuals could be themselves without oppression. You can listen to the entire podcast by downloading it from the Joy website joy.org.au forward slash rainbow crusaders or download it for free from the itunes store you're listening to a little pot of joy the podcast program 123 swanston street in melbourne cbd a tiny door leads up a rickety flight of steps nowadays to a Hare krishna restaurant across the road the melbourne town hall looms overhead but back in the 1950s, if you walked up the rickety flight of stairs, you'd enter another place entirely, a dimly lit narrow room with mauve chairs, a muralled wall and filled by the creme of Melbourne's bohemian and camp crowd. A time when homosexuality was still considered perverse activity, the vice squad was raising private parties and anti-communist sentiment was rife. Here, though, there was nothing but fabulous people, the fresh aroma of threepence coffee and a glamorous blonde dressed in an exquisite suit as she walked along the azure carpet and made sure her clientele were made to feel safe in a time of isolation. 
This opportunistic and by her own admission outrageous character leapt on a chance to make a safe haven for her fellow camps and in doing so developed a wonderful culture where same-sex attracted and gender diverse individuals could be themselves without oppression. That woman was Val Eastwood, the first to be profiled in our first ever episode of Rainbow Crusaders. Val Eastwood was a woman of many talents. During her life, not only was she the proprietor of four separate restaurants and cafes, she also, earlier, worked at the Victoria Barracks during the war as a swimwear model and as one of the many Betty Lees who ran Betty Lee's Dancing Academy. But it was her work as a dancer and her influence in the theatrical scene that led to her eventual role as the collector of Melbourne's burgeoning Bohemia. Working at the Tivoli, Val met her first girlfriend, a discovery which, although surprised her, did not rock her to the core. In an interview with Ruth Ford back in 1995, she explained the feeling of meeting her first girlfriend. This is an reenactment. I was aware of homosexuality. How did I feel? I didn't think much about it. It was just one of those things that happened. Although she, although not aware of many gay people, she soon became accustomed to the theatrical crowd of the New Theatre and Contemporary Dance Company, where she met more of the camp community as well as the communist members of the New Theatre's political productions. While here, Val moved into an apartment on Collins Street above the Tivoli Theatre and started to have parties after the shows with the rest of the theatre people, primarily composed of the camp community who outside of their house would be living in the closet. The very random suggestion by the landlord of 123 Swanston Street started her next business venture to provide a haven for gay people. In the early 1950s, the six o'clock swill was still in effect. People would be clamouring after work for as much as they could drink before they were refused. So establishment of coffee houses was popular for the time. But Val's success in the face of, at the time, stiff competition was a mixture of gay and theatrical clientele, a place people could be themselves and, above all, extremely good coffee. Barry Humphreys fondly remembered Val's during his formative years as a comic and actor. Before the appearance of the housewife giga star Dame Edna Everidge, Barry would frequent Val's after rehearsals, describing it as a wicked establishment. The walls were hung with black fishnet, the lights were dim, and the toasted raisin bread lubricously buttered. Val was a pretty blonde who dressed like a boy, an Australian garçon. Val's magnificent appearance was a highlight of the social scene in her coffee lounge. Wearing an Italian-tailored suit, sporting a silver-topped cane, she was of the theatrical masculine style of dress. However, this expression of breaking from gender role was beyond the confines of a cafe, waltzing up and down Swanston Street as well, the only difference being the addition of a Homburg hat. Her cafe was in blooming business. Word of mouth spread that this was the place to be if you were homosexual. According to Val's friend and regular at her coffee lounge, the dancer Noel Tovey, it became a calling card to refer quietly about other camp members of the community. It was synonymous with being gay. Well, gay wasn't used in my day, but it was synonymous. People used to say, oh, he's the sort of boy that goes to Val's, or she's the sort of girl that goes to Val's. Val herself made it known that it was important for the homosexuals of the time as it pulled them from isolation. The cafe wasn't only the place for the homosexuals, becoming the aftershow place to be, feeding the bohemia of Melbourne and the youth subculture of bodgies and widgies, the subculture of androgynous dress being influenced from the rock and roll records now streaming into Australia from America. Everyone was being outrageous at the time. It was a bit of a rebellion against the dreariness of Melbourne, which it was. And as long as she could be a bit different, 
being something different, that was the way to go. Val's Coffee House was a success not only locally but internationally. Parisians visiting Australia were told of the slice of Bohemia up the steep, narrow stairway run by, as Barry Humphreys put it, an Australian garçon. The bodies and widgies smearing the boundaries, straits and camps intermingling, while the aroma of fresh coffee permeated the air. It was so successful that after bargaining with the initial landlord, she opened the ground floor as well for Val's Cafe Number 2. And here, Val made her stand in the stiff coffee house competition, the addition of live performance. Noel Tovey talked to us of the Sunday concerts that came to highlight Val's Coffee House. We'd have a concert on Sunday nights, but I mean, that was just her friends getting up and performing. Um, there was a, a small grand piano, or well, I think it was maybe a half size grand, and a huge lesbian named Tony would play. And um, she played every night. Initially just hiring a small trio, soon the productions got grander for Val's Sunday night concerts with a mixture of music, drama and, in the case of Frank Thring, dirty poetry. The Chamber Music Orchestra from Melbourne University soon was asked to assist, but when the college got wind, it made the cafe out of bounds for all of its students. This didn't dissuade any of the students who were clamouring to get their slice of rebellion. With the, the variety of people who attended, it was a place, first and foremost, that had freedom for people. You might have been sitting there waiting for somebody to come. You'd get up and they'd flamboyantly kiss each other. they just behave naturally, which was good. Pretending that I'm someone else. It was therefore not surprising that Val's Coffee Lounge didn't actually attract the attention of the Vice Squad. Being in close proximity to the police station, it seems that although they were so close, the police were more cooperative, unusual for a time when there were many raids of gay and drag parties. A couple of boys might have turned up in drag, but it was very rare because it was too dangerous. They were certainly victimised by police, but never at the coffee lounge, because after all, what were we doing? Drinking coffee, not even grog. Val's coffee lounge continued for the next five years, but although she left the premises in 1956... Val continued to feed and water at Cafe 31 in St Kilda, Cafe Ad Lib in South Yarra, and in the 70s, Val's restaurant in Hawthorne. Even though it was not as revolutionary, the gay clientele still gravitated towards Val, being a place that was welcoming. People used to sit there all night, talking and having heavy conversations, or terribly outdoing each other with their wonderful repartee. I think one of the nicest things anyone ever said to me was a lovely man who became a dress designer and made beautiful clothes. When he used to come to the coffee lounge, he was only in his teens, and he said to me years later, you absolutely saved my life. You may not know it. That goes for a lot of other people. Val Eastwood wrote many short stories, which all linked to her past, and showed her spirit as a strong-willed and eccentric woman who, despite living in an age of severe restrictions, created a refuge for all of her fellow gay people. These stories, as well as the interview used for this program, is available in the book The Travelling Mind of Val Eastwood. Val passed away in 2009 in a nursing home in Geelong at the age of 82. Graham Willett of the Australian Lesbian and Gay Archives, who wrote her obituary, attended her memorial service, which was held at the Melbourne Town Hall, 
where they overlooked the site of 123 Swanston Street, where she fostered a community looking for validation for their existence. For Val, homosexuality was nothing to be ashamed of. You're on Joy 94.9 and this has been a little pot of joy with Andrea and Alice. We've been having a look at the resting programs a bit today, which is really interesting because a lot of people don't know about them. Well, they are resting. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But there's an an awful lot of amazing content out there and uh, there's a huge history of joy sitting there. That's right. I mean, the resting programs are any program that has got a podcast on the Joy website but it's not currently going to air. And as we've demonstrated this evening, we have so many amazing stories to tell. That's right. So you can get that extra diversity. You can find more of the complete podcast on the Joy website, joy.org.au, or download them for free from the iTunes store. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favorite podcasts free. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.